Welcome everyone to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. If you've been watching The Scuttlebutt for quite a while, you kind of see that we have a whole bunch of different military topics that we get into. Today is no different. Uh, our guest is going to be Army veteran Timothy Kim. Tim was a part of the Army from 01 to 09. He was a reservist and then after 9-11 was deployed twice to Iraq. We get into that. We talk about his service. But the main topic of this whole episode is grappling martial arts. You probably went, huh? Grappling martial arts. I heard about Tim from previous scuttlebutt guest Adam Zafudo. He was talking a bit on that program. If you remember, if you've watched that, about how uh, whenever he goes into grappling, doing judo, uh, it's very therapeutic for him. Well, I thought, hey, we've already done a lot of episodes about different ways uh, to deal with trauma, uh, deal with PTSD, and um, why not do one about grappling martial arts? Well, Timothy Kim has a nonprofit that he started called the Knife Hand Company, and that's exactly his mission. His mission is connecting veterans uh, with uh, martial arts with grappling martial arts organizations so that they can get in there and they can experience the therapeutic release of being able to do grappling. Um, I don't know very much about mixed martial arts or martial arts in general. So we get a bit into that, just trying to understand what is different between judo and jujitsu. Um, those, those are the ones that Tim primarily focuses on. Uh, it's a really interesting conversation. He's very passionate about his nonprofit, which I just love. Uh, so I hope you enjoy the conversation. Please like, share, subscribe, ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. And uh, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts or you'd like to send a you know a hello to me with some maybe some suggestions, I'm always open to that. You can connect with me at Sean, S-H-A-U-N at veteransbreakfastclub.org. Enjoy the show. Uh, Joining me today for the scuttlebutt is Tim Kim. He was uh, referred to me by our previous guest, Adam Zafudo, who talked to me a bit about healing his trauma through a grappling martial arts. Um, and, and Tim, I'm so excited for you to join the scuttlebutt today to talk about this, but also about your service in the army. Also super excited for uh, you to talk to us about the nonprofit you recently started called the Knife Hand Company. Um, Tim, welcome to the program. Yeah, happy to be here. I'm glad, uh, Sean, I'm like glad to be on the show and um, love to talk a little bit more about what we do and uh, how grappling actually helps really build uh, relationships and help deal with trauma in, in a lot of different ways. So, Sweet. And you are a uh, Army veteran, but you said there's a bit of a story about this. Yeah, yeah. So the funny thing is, is I joined in 2001. Actually, the date is uh, June 22nd, 2001 is my official contract date. Mm -hmm. um, when I joined... Uh, I was going into my senior year in high school. So there's this program in the military called delayed entry, especially if you're going into the reserves. And one of the nice things about that is um, they they kind of lock you up early, but you don't go to basic training I, or I missed that session's basic training for that summer. And then you go into your high school year. So um, I was planning on going to basic training and then uh, our individual training all in one after my senior year. So um, kind of being in the military going into my senior year. So like What's unique about that story, because there's a lot of people who've gone through DEP. Um, DEP, what's that? DEP, uh, like delayed, delayed entry. entry program. Yeah. Okay. yeah, so sorry, acronyms, Army. So, <laughs> Army, so we got good catch on that. So, uh, but yeah, it was June 22nd, 2001. And leading up to that date, uh, like, you know, the recruiters were all like, so you want to go into college, obviously. And I was looking for a way to pay for college. And they were like, you know, we got this awesome idea here for you. Uh, we'll pay for your schooling. 
But and all the only thing we're going to ask is that you spend one weekend a month, two weeks out of the year to come and go into like a training or just show up for these uh, what they call drill. Mm -hmm. um, and we just do some work to be ready on on reserves. Uh, what's kind of unique about that was we we were in a period of 10 like a piece for 10 years reserves yeah. haven't been activated for so long and that was part of their pitch it was you're not gonna have to do anything if anything if there's any sort of conflict active duty typically goes and then you typically would fill in an active duty role here stateside so i'm like that's really cool i mean like and you'll pay for my college and they were also like you know it's kind of like a party each weekend it's just uh you get to hang out and you get paid to do that so it's I was like, all right, that's cool. Yeah. Three months later, 9-11 happens. Things change. And like, that's kind of the story behind it. It's just, we didn't know what we were going to get into. Obviously, after that moment, uh, things kind of spiraled into a lot of different areas. Going into my senior year, already a soldier, knowing that 9-11 just happened mm -hmm. uh, was like, oh, oh gosh, this is like, okay, like, I don't, I don't know if this is still going to affect me. It really didn't hit me until... Uh, we, I got to my first drill and all those things kind of started to settle in and you're like, okay, something might be happening, but we don't know what that looks like. Um, mm -hmm. and a couple of years later, got my first deployment. Boy, oh boy. So yeah, 9-11 happens. Was that that, uh, oh shit moment? Uh, cause it, I mean, joining it for those reasons, wasn't necessarily like gung ho, ready to serve, call me when you need me it's kind of right. like great i'm gonna get some free schooling so what was going through your mind and your family's mind after 9 11 where you're like oh boy i signed this and now i could be playing yeah. in the suck yeah no yeah well we were about to go into the suck for sure then uh i think the biggest thing for me um is it didn't really register i mean like as any high school senior would tell you like we're we're very much whatever is in the moment for that time so like um I just know, knew like where I was in school when that happened. I mean, like over the PA announcement, we heard like uh, the second plane hit, right? Like they didn't yeah. even tell us when the first plane hit. It was going fourth period into my uh, like fourth period metal shop. Like that's a cool like elective. I had a lot of cool senior electives. Uh, and then we we're going into my like typing class. Uh, we've got to remember early days of internet. So not really <laughs> that many a good cool computer programming classes so it was just typing yeah. and i remember we had like five minutes five to ten minutes into this class um before we got started we were just surfing uh just the web and uh like i remember a kid saying like it's like i think it was obama i like no not obama i like uh, osama oh, bin laden oh, yeah. like, and, and we were like like I was like, there's no way. I'm like he got shut down with the USS Cole thing. It was like there's mm -hmm. like a lot of people were saying, I don't know about that. This seems like a pretty big operation. It's probably just like oh, like we're thinking it's an accident, but it's two planes. So how what's the likelihood there? Right. Uh shortly after that, like probably 20 minutes, they dismissed the entire school. So we're like, whoa, mm -hmm. what's going on? Um and it didn't really settle in because we did get to watch the news and see the planes hit at yeah. that point. And uh like where it really started to note where I started to notice something was different was I had been to a drill like prior to that, like in August uh, or like early September, uh, we had a drill and it was like, oh, that's a, like, this is what it's like to kind of come in on a weekend as a reservist, that sort of feeling. Uh, the very next drill that like I got to go to, it was like, there was a different mood shift, like things were like on a little bit of more alert, but generally still calm. Um, 
I don't think it really started to affect me until probably my seat, like my sophomore year in college or my freshman year mm -hmm. in college leading up to my sophomore year. Cause like, that's when I was like, that's when things were starting to shift because, um, Iraq and like Iraq started in 03. Um, and you're looking at, okay, Afghanistan, Iraq, like, and now we're on two fronts and the army's now like stretched a little yeah. bit. And it was like, okay, uh, like what are the chances? That's when the questions were like, what are the chances we get, we get called up as reservists. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, as any reservist will tell you during that time for at least from probably Oh two or Oh three, all the way up to like 2012 is like, it was, we were getting deployed as much as active duty at times. Mm -hmm. So it was like, how often were we going to get called up? We didn't know. And then, uh, going like it was the summer before my sophomore year, I would say, uh, we were going camping and uh, like my, uh, my NC, my sergeant was like, Hey, look, it's like, Hey, guess what? You know, uh, we're going um just so you know like we haven't cut the orders yet so still register for school things might change you know so like i was going in um and uh like that's kind of how it ended up happening like i would say three two or three months in to um uh, like into my school year or first semester uh or like of that sophomore year uh we were called like mm -hmm. we had our orders cut i had to withdraw which was cool the schools were all like cool about that mm -hmm. and 18 months later like or like at the couple months later i was in iraq for 18 months so that's kind of how deployments work back then you answered a couple questions of mine because uh not to make this episode about being a reservist um because there's uh, a, a definite distinction between being a reverse reservist and being active duty but when you are right. called up your deployment's the same amount of time as active duty right yeah. Yeah. In the army, we had those extended times. So for example, um, whereas like uh, the other branches didn't had shorter deployments or like if they were doing a year, they would break them up like quarterly or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's for the air force for the army. It was like 15 months, uh, typically boots in ground or boots on ground, uh, mm -hmm. like deployments. So like typically about a year and a half, I mean, obviously with training 18 months was like the standard, yeah. Um, and the, yeah, so like reservists, how the reserves worked is we would essentially get chopped up and then pulled into an active duty, like division mm -hmm. or, uh, a company or however that worked. So, um, you know, like first deployment, uh, we got attached to the three ID cause I was with, uh, a, a engineer unit that, uh, there, there was, there was an active duty component and they needed a, a like a, a couple companies to fill in. So that's when we got caught up and we were just active duty at that point um, in, in Iraq. And when you're done with that deployment, you're back to being reservist, back to being one time per, per month, two weeks yeah, a year. Yeah, yeah, you go right back. And it's it's kind of weird. Um, it's like you get back, there's about like, I would say 30 to 60 days, maybe a little bit longer, but uh, somewhere in that range where we're going through our, our demobilization. So we're like, doing all our out processing from like our active duty stations and and um kind of do like last minute debriefs and like getting ready to go home uh and then when we get home and it's just like boom we'll see you in a month right like everybody just goes and like we disappear yeah. so um yeah that's kind of how it worked it was it was kind of weird that way is it wasn't like business as usual we just kind of had to as soon as we like as soon as it was, it was over it was just like okay 
now what do I do? It was like, for me, it was like, okay, now I got to figure out getting back to school, finding an apartment, like doing all that stuff and getting started again. But you don't know when you could be redeployed again. So you're kind of in this weird holding pattern. So yeah, yeah. And, and typically it was, I don't know if it was like a lottery or this rotational system. So like, uh, the funny thing is, is engineers don't really get um, deployed all like as often as some of the other units. And the funny thing is, is like, where I was, I'm from central PA. So, uh, like I had, I was a, I was a, being a mechanic, I was with a company out in uh, central PA, mm -hmm. um, right out by like near Harrisburg and I was going to school at Pitt. So, uh, like that distance to travel, to do training got, got a bit long. So, um, that's what led me to transfer to a unit up in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. uh, and then that's where my second deployment comes from. So, and uh, over the course of, cause you stayed in, you know, 01 to 09, uh, you must've re-upped. Um, uh, no. So most reserve contracts and some active duty contracts are like this, where they give you a six by two. So it's like you go six years of your like live contract. And then there's two years of inactive. Okay. Uh, it just so happened that like my last two years where I could have gone inactive, I was also deployed. So uh, it's kind of how it worked. How many times were you deployed over those seven years or so, eight years? Uh, twice, uh, twice. Okay. Um, and if you count total time, it roughly averages about like three and a half years of total training as well as like uh, mobilization time. So what did you think of Iraq whenever you landed there? So uh, the first thing you notice like is, uh, the first thing you notice is when you get off the plane in Kuwait is um, everything's brown and there's this like rusty smell in the air. I, I don't know how to describe it. Like there, I don't know if anybody else has ever experienced that, but it was like, you like, there's just this scent in the air. That's like different. It's like, uh, uh, I don't want to say sulfur or, or like, or metally, but it, it was just this like different smells. Like, so like, um, I'm like, my senses are pretty sensitive any in, in general. So like mm -hmm. noticing that it was like, it was bright, it was brown or like tan, everything was like this drab. And uh, there was this like unique smell in the air. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, this is different. Um, vibe wise, like things weren't all that different. Um, you know, we flew in, like half of us had a convoy up into Iraq and half of us, like including myself, flew into Baghdad. So uh, from Kuwait. So like, it wasn't for me, it was, you didn't really notice anything like it didn't feel different until like we were there and it was like, okay, we're now inside Baghdad. Like here's our, here's our new residence. Like now it's our like time to work. And it didn't really like the feeling of combat, at least for my first deployment, didn't really hit me probably until like, you know, our first like mortar strike. And you're like, what the heck is that noise? It's like, what is that? Like and everybody like, is scattering or everybody's like, uh, you know, that happens well, every we, day. Well, we, we have like little like mini bunker areas, like, which are just like, um, think of, think of, uh, the, you know, like those T walls that you would see in, uh, uh, like the cement T walls that you would mm -hmm. see, except they were a little bit semi more enclosed, just look like a staple, uh, that was there. And you could just kind of go under and like the first time you, you saw it, you felt it like you were like going in there and everybody knows you're like new to the environment when you go in there um because like typically after that you're just like all right what it's like it's not it doesn't sound anywhere close so we're fine like sometimes you just sleep through it so yeah, uh, yeah. yeah but the first couple of times you're just like okay that sounds scary but like most of the time it's usually not yeah 
what was the difference in your second deployment from your first? Did you feel like it was, you feel more prepared in your second deployment? Actually, the second deployment was, yeah. So like it, it was a catch 20. I, I don't know. It's, it was somewhere in between, I would say, right? Um, you, the lead up to it. Um, so I had transferred to Pittsburgh uh, to this uh, PSYOPs unit out in Pittsburgh, uh, psychological operations unit. And like, mm -hmm. um, and it, like part of the part of the reason why I transferred, obviously, it was closer to school. Um, and then what I want, like what I was talking to them about, it was like, Hey, look, I just got deployed. Like, I just kind of want to finish out school, see where that goes. Um, and like part of the talk was, there is like, Hey, look, look, what is your like deployment schedule look like? Like how far are we looking? Uh, is like, am I on this road? Like when, like, if I, if you guys are going soon, am I on that Ross? Like, am I on this rotation or not? Mm -hmm. Uh, and for the most part, it sounded like when I first joined up, it was like this part of that luck is like. They were like, no, like you should be fine. I, you just got deployed. There doesn't look like you're gonna get on this rotation at all. Mm -hmm. um, and that was like leading into the like my junior year. Actually, is is kind of the funny thing is they're they're like, hey, um, you're on the roster, so like get ready. So I was like, all right, all right, this is like great. Um, the only thing this one was a little bit tougher in terms of like that's when I just started getting into like different relationships. Like mm -hmm. I, I was getting into like. I, I had built the second group of friends. So like when you're going to school, uh, I guess this Pitt, was Pitt is a vet friendly school. Like, it, yes. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And and that's, what's cool about uh, like Pitt. Like they're very like supportive of their veterans. They have great offices there uh, and a lot of support, re like resources and, and support for their, uh, for their vets. I think the, what made it interesting was, is like um, your first deployment when you come back, you effectively lose about two years of school mm -hmm. because of the way this deployment cycle works. So like you get pulled out in the middle of the fall and then you don't come back until either not the following fall, but like spring probably midway somewhere. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. somewhere a year and a half down somewhere in the spring. So you effectively lose those two semesters because it's in the middle of those semesters. Right. Yeah. And that's for like, you miss four semesters. So um, what, what ends up happening like so like when when that happens all that your all your friends have graduated by that point because they're going into their senior years and they're graduating so you're like crap i have to make new friends and like two-year difference is not that big of a deal so mm -hmm. um so that was the struggle this time so like i make friends they're all younger than me for the most part and it's just like all right cool uh and and you you go like having relationships and things like that going into the second deployment uh, was kind of tough because you're like crap I got to go through this again but this time I'm a little bit tied or there's a little bit of, of like this weariness around it so you're like all right but just suck it up and we go uh, it's gonna suck anyway might as well just deal with it right right um, and so yeah um, okay so did you know mostly the main topic of this particular program was going to be grappling martial arts <laughs> did you start that training years ago was it a passion you always had or is it something you found after service so the funny thing is uh, my introduction into grappling. So, you know, as a kid, like my, my high school was a really big uh, a wrestling school. So like mm -hmm. I've always had friends that would wrestle, but I, I never did wrestling. Um, I saw their practices. It looked suck. It, lo it looked like it would suck. <laughs> yeah. um, um, but uh, So like from there, I, I went to um, like, it was an elective in college and it was judo. So it was like a, 
really I, like i was like you know what I, i'm gonna try this out mm -hmm. uh see what that's like and um that was my introduction into it. It was really cool because I didn't, I was never really big into martial arts up until that point. Mm -hmm. um, and and judo, like my entry into judo was really cool. Um, like grappling is is unique in terms of martial arts just because uh, it because there's no striking involved. Um, there's this just natural uh, tendency to like you can exert everything you can, like everything you need. But, um, you know, like at the end of the day, there's like, there's no, there's no escalation in terms mm. of violence or something like you, you go a hundred percent and that's really the cap of it. And you can kind of come out of there. Um, this early, like early stages of my judo, like of my grappling journey, it was like, that was my introduction. It was really cool. Cause like when you, when there's nothing like, um, feeling somebody's body go weightless in the air and you're like, Whoa, I actually hit this. And it was like uh and they land and you're like it's it's the walk-off because judo is cool like in terms of the sport right um yeah the way their system the way their scoring is done is if you land a clean throw and their back hits it's done the match is over so whether it's five seconds in the match or like the 15 like the six minute mark where it's about to go over and you hit it it's it's that's where you, like it's over with a big throw now there's other ways to finish it mm -hmm. uh but like there's nothing it's like the grappling equivalent to a walk-off um mm -hmm. and um so like that was my introduction stayed with it for a couple of years uh really kind of got separated after uh after i graduated left the military too and started working just mm -hmm. couldn't find it in my schedule so there was like it was on and off for the next like 10 to 12 years until last year when i got back into grappling now most people that probably are listening to the program might be, you know, they they may have some history with martial arts, they may not, but most people maybe think like, okay, karate, okay, belts, you know, you sort of yeah. work up the progression through that. Is judo the same way? Yeah, so the, there's a funny story about like, or, or at least the myth goes, um, but the whole belt structure that we see in martial arts mm -hmm. is actually found, uh, is actually, a, um, is was actually created by the founder of judo. So Jigoro Kano, interesting um like so you really see don't this is really an eastern thing but um or like a, a western thing now but um typically what you would see especially in eastern martial arts if you were to go overseas and see how they would do um like ranking it was typically black and white uh so you have a black belt white belt it just meant uh teacher student that's really mm -hmm. all it was mm -hmm. um and this all comes from like the chinese system of like uh, the Dan system. So like we, what we call that is like your prerequisites are, are calculated by this thing called like uh, Q, which counts down to zero. And then your, um, and your rankings going forward is done. So like, uh, for example, if you are, you're, you've gotten all your prerequisites out of the way and you're the first level of like, um, like your real journey or your mastery journey is that's what uh, shodan or one don would mean, right? Mm -hmm. um, what that translates to in a belt is black belt is a shodan, just straight. So, like, what's unique about that is we we uh, misinterpret that here on the uh, in on the western side as your master at that point, but actually yeah. the it, your journey just begins. But when hmm. going to the colored belt system to man 
we all like the Eastern system had those two systems where you're counting down the prerequisites and then your journey starts. So think of this like slope and then you, it kind of V's, right? Mm -hmm. um, to track that journey, Jigoro Kano was like, here, look, we're just going to put color systems in here, like boom, white belt. And like, it just translates all the way down. And then like, once you hit black belt, start over, right? Because um, now that you have your prereqs out, now you can really start to uh, adapt to what your style is, right? Um, and that's when the journey starts. So uh, it's actually, it, he started it and every martial art copied what he had, uh, obviously adopting the belt system. Um, and it's kind of, it, it ended up blossoming and turning into this whole new thing where like black belt really meant pinnacle or mastery, uh, yeah. which, which um, in in other martial arts it could be, but like in judo and most likely grappling in general, it's just really the beginning where you've like learned all the basics. Now you have everything down, like your prerequisites, like you said, and then black belt right. means like, okay, now you can start really doing the main work. Um, yeah, yeah. Now in high school, you said, okay, wrestling didn't look fun, but what was it about judo that you were like, okay, this this was definitely my thing? Yeah, so like, that, that's the thing. It's like, I didn't, it's usually, it was, I think what didn't look fun was like the practices in like, you know, you're, I played basketball in high, like in like middle school. So um, we would follow up and a little bit in high school, but like we would follow up sometimes wrestling practices. Right. Yeah. And you'd walk in and it was like 130 degrees inside the gym. You don't know why. Uh, Cause they obviously blast the heat for them. It's like humid. It smells like sweat. And you're like, and you're seeing the faces of everybody in wrestling. And you're just like, man, what did you just put yourself through? Yeah. Like, and I had a lot of like, wrestling friends, you know, like, uh, during lunch they're not eating or they're nibbling on like a corner of a cracker or they're spitting in a cup to make sure that they could make weight and you're like man I, I'm like I'm sorry while I'm housing this like pizza or something <laughs> like I feel bad but it's like I don't feel bad at the same time you know yeah um but yeah so like when I saw that I was like man that's just like I don't I don't want to put myself through that kind of like uh lifestyle uh what was neat about judo is like obviously as a college elective, you're not going into like a full blown, like hard session yet. Uh, mm -hmm. It was more like a fundamentals class, but like you realize it there, uh, like in grappling, <clears throat> that first experience of like exchanging and really like trying to fight somebody without like um, really like trying to control somebody and fight somebody and throw somebody without like uh, striking and kicking. And the one, I think what stood out or what, what made that so unique for me is like um, there are always going to, there are always guys bigger, stronger, faster than me, but every so often you catch them, right? Like every so often you're like, boom, I, I got it. And it was a big throw. Like, and it was just based off the way they were off balance and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's kind of what brought me into grappling at, like in this whole, like the idea of like, Oh, this is really neat. And the fact that I don't have to be, the biggest strongest fastest but like if like i it matters athleticism matters it really does attributes matter but uh at times it was just like uh, like i i can still hold my own if i i get good right right um and yeah like that's what started and just like you kind of go through that uh period of growth and you're just like well this is kind of cool to see like how you improve compared to compared to where you were looking at and kind of just developing like your mindset around that and it was really helpful for that um in terms of like developing 
developing like the mind in a sense. Was it something about also being in the army and, you know, there's always definitely like competition within the army, within your unit, you know, uh, you learning uh, judo or was this after, after your service that judo really sort of took command and, and it was a way for you to, uh, you know, continue on being physical in some way, because, you know, obviously being uh, active duty, you're constantly fitness. There's always, you're always running, you're always doing something. So you need somewhere to put that energy. Yeah, no, it was, it was a combination of a couple of things. I, I realized like, um, and, and you could say it's a little bit of both. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously while I was in the military, there's this drive to like continue to go, but like the reservist mentality is a little bit more on the relaxed side, I guess, when it comes to a uh, uh, physical training. So um I would say like when I first experienced judo and the when I first got into grappling and in terms of my introduction, uh, it was very like, uh, it was part of it was a neat introduction into a different way to do exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, it, it, there was some ap- applicable things that I could take into like sort of, sort of self-defense. And then obviously um, not that I was going to see frontline combat or like or at least that that's what the assumption that of what I was going to see or hand to hand, I was never in a hand to hand battle or anything, but uh, having some base there where you're actually grabbing somebody um, it's more natural, like than than throwing a punch or kick your body is actually more designed to grab and pull and throw than it is to throw a punch or a kick. Cause we got a ton of small bones in our hands and feet. Mm-hmm. It's not really designed to, to do that. So, um, and so like I was, that's when I first started like kind of dig deep into what that would look like. And um, post my military career, I just wanted to pursue it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just stopped for a little bit. Like you kind of get to a point, it's just like, all right, I, I can't commit that time or the money to it. So right. at what point did you get into jujitsu and how did it differ? What were the similarities between that and judo? Yeah. So uh, the fight, uh, it was last year. So 2021, I've been meaning to get into jujitsu for a while. So like I had friends that were into jujitsu and obviously me being uh, somewhat of a judo guy, what we would do is like, and they were also into judo too at the at the time, but like the 10 years, like when I say off and on, we would just have like random roles or whatever. We just kind of spar on our own and just kind of play around. Um, but I always admired the jujitsu guys being able to like kind of manage like the game from the back, right? Like mm-hmm. crap, you're in a bad position. Like uh, how do you manage like y- your like worst case scenarios, right? Because uh, okay. in a street fight, you never want to be on your back. Typically speaking, we see it in the, we see it in uh, like the UFC all the time. Mm-hmm. Like someone's trying to rain punches or kicks on you, you typically don't want to be on your back. So how do you control it from the back? And you see like the best jujitsu guys in the, like in the USBC, especially like handle that, right? Like they're mitigating the damage as well as improving their position. So um, leading up to uh, my joining into like getting into jujitsu, I was uh, in my master's program uh, at Pitt, um, had just gotten back to school. So like I was riding around on my bike, um, motorcycle, and like I saw I live close to the waterfront. So I was actually riding through the waterfront because uh, I, I I think I stopped at Lowe's or something. And there was this gym that opened up. It was a brand new mm-hmm. school. Uh, it was an MMA school. And I was like, you know what? Uh, that winter, I was like, uh, like 
that that seems interesting. I've never done like MMA before. I need to get in shape. I was starting to get a little bit on the heftier side. So um it was like we're remember pandemic plus like school plus like whatever. Like I was not the- feeling bad about having a pizza. Yeah, yeah, no, like especially <laughs> all those times I made fun of wrestling guys, those like those extra pizza slices weren't really that helpful. I should have probably done what they were doing. So, nibble a cracker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nibble on crackers. So uh I I joined this gym. Um and they they had a jujitsu program, but it was like a no gi or like MMA type focused um, jujitsu school. Uh, but I, I I so I stuck with their MMA program for a little bit, um, and it was my last semester, really going into my last semester. So like uh, of my master's program, so I kind of fell off after a month or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was always talking to the owner, and I was like, hey, look, if you get like this gi jujitsu school, like like if you get a gi class, I'm totally down to come back um is because like that's kind of what i was more interested in because i wanted to start back in jujitsu and get back into judo at some point right yeah so um long story short i graduate and like the last two months of my semester i didn't i wasn't going to the gym at all i was just really just finishing i wanted to finish school and uh, I graduated and I, it was like one of those things like, let's do a quick health assessment. So it was like a couple of days after I graduated, because I saw some of my graduation photos. I was like, man, I look, the, I look a little uh, wide here or round. Uh, and I step on the scale and I didn't see a straight line as my first number. I don't know what the last two numbers were, but I jumped off before. And I was like, that's not like the fact that it hit that number so quickly. I was like, okay we're not we're not gonna dibble dabble on finding out what the real result is so i jumped off um and the very next week i was like like i texted or like that very day i was like i texted uh the gym is like hey i'm coming back right uh so show up to this uh the jujitsu class um and that's really the beginning of it and i think where it was less about the jujitsu or about the grappling and it was more about the experience because anytime you're joining a school or a martial arts gym, especially in grappling, um, you never know what you're going to expect. Like, right. You're, you're going in, you're just like, all right, am I going to get smashed up like and tortured for like the next two hours or right. like, or like, what's the vibe of the school? So I was like, all right, I'm just going to bite the bullet go. Um, but I told him up front, I was like, Hey, look, I'm coming. The school classes were Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I was like, hey, look, I'm going to miss Wednesday because I have a like uh, prior engagement, but I'll be there for Friday. So like I'm going to be here. I show up Monday, mm-hmm. like tell everybody that. And this is where like this is what got me hooked. It wasn't actually the jujitsu. Uh, Wednesday comes around like that night after I missed class because I tell everybody I had this. I like I can't go to class because I have this thing. Mm-hmm. I got like eight texts from like a bunch of people they were like people i just met on monday they were like yeah. hey what are you what are you doing why aren't you here class i was like what the heck like i bear i just met you guys first of all and, I, and number two i'm kind of upset that you guys didn't read my earlier text where i said i can't make it so um, <laughs> but that's what kind of started i was like like wow like the, why do these people care so much you know like you're being uh, held accountable but there's also that yeah. sort of brotherhood like you find in the army yeah yeah and i was like that's what kind of started peaking my interest because i've always wanted to kind of give back uh uh or get back in into um that world uh just a quick like history in terms of like my my work i used to work 
Uh, I worked for a bank, uh, ended up working as an investment advisor for institutions. So I was managing endowments, uh, foundations, charitable trusts. Saw that work on the nonprofit side, ended up going to a non small nonprofit um, called uh, like where I managed an employment program for homeless veterans. Hmm. Um, and that's what actually got me back to go to school because I was like, I really like this nonprofit world, want to go back. So after leaving that, I, I went to finish school, from my, finish my master's program. So yeah. I, I kind of always wanted to go into this like nonprofit space and what ended up happening is I had a lot of different ideas of how can I give back and all these things. And this is like the early days of that. So, uh, started going to jujitsu, um, two weeks in to jujitsu first major knee injury. Uh, uh, cause I, you don't, you don't know how to do your, you don't know how to move. You don't know how to, like your body reacts. And, um, and like we were practicing these drills, uh, blew my blew my mcl out it was it was crazy it was bad but like what i decided there at that moment was like it was easy for me to say i'm going to take the next four to six weeks or to like two months and i'm not going to show up uh but what i decided to do was like you know what i'm just going to show up i'm not going to be able to train but i'm going to show up um like my coach was big on that he was like hey just keep showing up like you might down like download things at least mentally right so uh, I kept going um, and what was happening, like, so like the coach ended up using me as like uh, the move dummy. So like knowing that I was injured, it was at least you kind of learn like some of the moves cause he's doing it on you, yeah. but like uh, he's monitoring the knee. He's making sure that I'm not really putting anything on it. And it's giving me a little bit of that experience. Um, what's kind of cool about that because I kept going out, because I had an injured knee, I had to really learn some of the basic things that most people don't get to do mm-hmm. uh, because you you rely on your athleticism, you rely on some of the other aspects of it, right? So right. Uh, I had to learn how to defend. Like I knew I couldn't hold, hold certain positions. I knew I couldn't do anything. I tried to make it very difficult to uh, like, or at least lengthen the time it took for somebody to submit me and mm-hmm. it really helped improve my game. And I developed a certain game off of that. Um, had like, it was weird. Cause I, I was still fairly plump, but I was kind of going out, still getting a small workout, nothing really happening. Mm-hmm. And then like that summer, like I got sick. I always get this summer flu it was really weird, but I lost 10 pounds. But what was cool about that 10 pounds is that's what kicked off this like weight loss journey. Yeah. Um, in this six month period after that, um, I got, I dropped all the way down to like my current weight, which is about 155, which is mm-hmm. roughly, I'm guessing over 50 pounds of weight loss, uh, mm-hmm. over this period of time. So, wow, yeah, yeah. Like none of my clothes fit, which is kind of a bummer, but it's a good problem to have. Um, right. But yeah. Uh, and that's kind of what propelled me into this. Uh, like I, it was, it was, something special i think what i think what keeps me in jujitsu uh and i started going back to judo at the same time too but i think what keeps me in grappling is uh one of the more famous coaches out there john donaher he's like uh it's it's high stakes problem solving with dire dire consequences right uh that's Mm -hmm. what he says it's and the way i look at it it's like it's like chess with really miss like 
mistakes are cap like mistakes are really bad right yeah With really bad mistakes so like uh understanding that it was like very intellectual um you can't it's it's really unique on that you really enjoy it, it keeps you engaged because you think about it you're like yep. oh if i had my hand here or if my hand if my leg was here like i could have avoided that and it, it and it just plays in your mind and you're like and that's actually the therapy portion of it because you're like it's it's crazy it's like it plays over and over in your mind and you're not thinking about the other stuff and then and on top of that like you see the other value like the other benefits of jujitsu it's like when you're grappling with somebody it's so unique you're uh embracing in you we talked about like being in the suck well like you're actually embracing the suck here at this moment right yeah because like you and your partner first of all you need two people like minimum you need a partner to train you can't do it alone uh that was uh that was one of jigoro kano's uh, like found like foundational like phrases right um he had he had two really concepts out of judo uh that like judo is the grand great grandfather of jujitsu right mm -hmm. so um but like it's maximum efficiency and mutual benefit and the mutual benefit piece is the fact that like listen um you need a partner to train you cannot do this or you can't go on this journey alone that's very much something the same way we had in the military we had the battle buddy system mm -hmm. you were never alone in any piece of your time if you were alone you were in trouble right um and so like from the battle buddy system to the team, to the squad, to the like platoon, to the company, to the division, to the brigade, you know, like all these things always work on as you're never alone. So that first resonated. And on top of that, you we talked about that accountability piece, but it was more than that. If you struggle with somebody in this shared experience, uh, this traumatic experience of like, you can't like there's this weird feeling or this weird thing that attaches itself to it or that develops. Um, I was watching a podcast with like Jocko Willinick and he was saying like, I know like from like, from my first grip, I can, I can tell what they're going through from that grip exchange. And he's absolutely right. If you rode with somebody for a long period of time, or even just a short period of time, or if you've been in jujitsu for even as little as like three months, right. You can tell you can feel that energy from them from your first grip exchange. Like, you know what type of pressure that person typically is going to give you. And from that, like, almost telepathic exchange, that's when you realize it's like, oh, okay, this guy's going through something. Like, maybe I'll say something after. Maybe you don't even have to say anything because that was the therapy on the mat, right? Yeah, like, yeah. out of there and you're just like, I don't have to say a word. We, we knew, we exchanged our thoughts via our, our grappling session or our spar right mm -hmm. um and that was really the beginning of it and i was like listen um like i for over like like I, i'm kind of a man of faith so like i i'm very much a volunteer at my church like i'm a deacon there and like um but there's times when i look at it the, and we have a young church it's like mainly college students but like uh, so it's kind of hard to have this but when you look at church communities uh, like my dad's a pastor i grew up in the church community um you see like you see this uh, like bonding some of the culture like in the communities there but it was never like this it was never yeah. uh like this close or this intentional and partly and I, I realized what it was um 
like doing my research, I, like this is the beginning of the idea for my nonprofit um, to segue. It was just like, what happened was it was like, okay, this seems like a really good idea. I think there are some veteran programs that can really like that do grappling. And it was me like, are there pro like it was me typing in Google programs for veterans jujitsu, right? And yeah, yeah. I saw a few and I was reading the like the re requirements for them. It was like uh sick like minimum like minimum service connection disability or uh combat de deployment required or um you know like like you you have to you have to fit a certain criteria of what it means to be a veteran and yeah. i was like well like that's really restrictive that like i mean having worked in the veteran cir circle i know what those numbers look like uh typical high level like uh i mean you're talking about like a five to 15 percent uh population of the entire veteran population that you are saying is the only people that can advance like take advantage of these programs right um and i was like okay so what if i started one was the question and then uh that's where it started so i started doing my research 40 like around 40 percent a little bit or around there is like of uh, veterans leave or like uh military personnel leaving uh service going into uh a civilian life had had shown uh anxiety levels right like they were they were anxious of going into civilian life. Um, Seventy percent of all veterans are like, uh, as a VA study said, they uh, like were stated as um, obese. Mm -hmm. You know, you have high level of uh, PTSD, TBI, mental health issues, and then you also on the employment side, you learn this is like, like I, I don't know the actual number, but it's somewhere like it's a really high number from like. I want to say 60 to 80%. I don't, I don't know. We have to actually look at those numbers of veterans that actually don't consider themselves veterans. Why would right. you is the question? And the question, the reason why that is, is if you don't have the big five, um, you're not going to get the services. It seems like it feels like, and um, the big five being um, like PTSD, you know, TBI. yeah. Like mental health, suicide, yeah. Uh, yeah. like uh, homeless addiction, uh, yeah. like we're like uh, in food insecurity. Right. Gotcha. Um, if you're not like in that also lower tier percent group where it's the most media attention, where all the veteran services are directing their attention to you, um, like then you're not going to get those resources. But at the same time, if you're a functioning veteran or if you are dealing with small things, but you don't want to take that on yourself and say like, look, I don't want to, that's, that's not me. And I don't want to be associated with that. Yeah. It's like, you're not good. They don't claim it. They don't claim their status on their employment, uh, like on mm. their employment rep. So like they yeah. don't check that. Are you a veteran? They don't check it. Why? Why would they? Because you don't want to be classified as somebody that has mental health or is uh, so like uh, or um, is homeless. And for the longest time for me, that was that was definitely me um, mm -hmm. realizing much later. Like I like I, I'm in now like I, I've just been recently diagnosed with like uh uh mental health issues or like uh like and and but we all have them we just never we didn't want to classify ourselves with it yeah totally so like going back to this is like okay i'm realizing there's a whole group of people that could benefit from just grappling because like you're getting into a community that has this shared experience and this is where i come in and i keep using the shared experience language because that's the idea that really uh, catapulted me into launching this. Um, it's semantics, 
but it's important and it's the difference between shared experience and similar experiences right mm-hmm. uh, you said you weren't a veteran and but like i will i could probably tell you that we have similar experiences mm-hmm. um at some point we can relate to some things at some point in our times um right. we won't have we didn't live through them but together but like we could probably say oh like oh that's interesting like you know like i kind of went through something similar i've been dumped before yeah, yeah, like we've we've all been there before, and like mm-hmm. it's different circumstances leading up, so like that's what makes it unique. But there's this thing that I've like kind of termed as like shared experiences, and what those experiences are, it requires another, like it requires another person, so at minimum two people or more, right, to go through a profound or traumatic event, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it can be a positive event, like a like a marriage between a bride and a groom, a birth mm-hmm. of a child, right? Um, or, you know, it could be something like uh, like semi-positive, like you getting, you're all getting smoked because you're in basic training and you're in that platoon and you're all getting like all worked out and, and like smoked up because of that. Yeah. It also could be the people in that car that you were with on that uh, that convoy getting blown up and you mm-hmm. and your buddy survived or something yeah. that those are traumatic events that got like have relationships with people for example uh, a big example of this is everybody in new york city during 9-11 yeah that was a shared experience that only new york city can really expe- like say they own right yeah. uh, we all have the entire country got attacked technically speaking yes um you know, like, and we can all relate to it as a veteran myself, like I can relate to it, but like, I didn't live through what they did. Right. And like, New York has this deep tie and that's the different bond that they all have. Right. Yeah. Um, Every veteran has that same sort of experience from the moment they sign up and step off into that bus into training for the first time. When mm-hmm. you see a knife hand, literally a knife hand in your face for the very first time you are you're you're we all we all immediately share in that experience because from generation to generation from service to service we we all have that i can i can talk about basic training experiences through what from a guy that recently graduated from like an air force uh basic training we know what those experiences are like because it's shared Uh, it's in it's it's a communal aspect of it same with being a combat deployed unique to everybody who's been in combat We've all been there together. Like it's it's a relationship type issue. It's not a similar experience so much as it it can be a similar experience, but it's so unique to that aspect of combat or like life that it is shared. We did Mm -hmm. go through that um, together. So where, where would I find that here on this side in of the community and Mm -hmm. the, credit to all the veteran service organizations out there. I I mean, uh, there are a lot of great services out there, but the most, the vast majority of them, it gets veterans to see other veterans, nothing about getting veterans to seeing the rest of the community. Mm -hmm. That's still the biggest problem. People don't get to introduce, don't get to go into those communities, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, there's, they're saying, Hey, look, you get your veteran. Let me show you where other veterans are. So like, you can go hang out with them and uh, like relive your, relive those experiences. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but 
so I was like, all right, where where do we live that we can have a share experience shared experience? Locker rooms typically have it if you're you're in sports. Um, like and but after high school, if you're lucky enough to be in collegiate sports or lucky enough to be in a pro, those are finite, right? Yeah. Um, you're never gonna see that again. Then comes yeah. grappling. Um, what's unique about grappling is it sucks. Everybody on the mat comes in with a different background. So you're going to see the broad, broad community. You're in awkward positions. So there's no personal space. Uh, and the positions that you'll end up in are very hard to explain outside of the context of grappling. Right. Okay. Like, it's like, let me explain this. It's like, how did you end up sitting on that person's face? while trying to break their arm it's like listen i don't know how i got there but like listen i know what it sounds like i was sitting on a face uh, sitting on someone's face for two hours but listen it was for grappling it wasn't anything <laughs> weird i'm telling you but that's like that's what, like that's what it is yeah and it's this shared struggle on this mat because it's between you and somebody else and this is go this goes back to my comment about sharing those thoughts through grip exchanges it's like you're struggling, you're fighting your heart, you're going as hard as you can to compete, but you're taking out the other aspect of it, of, of, of martial arts. Like yeah. the challenge with striking martial arts, obviously for military stuff is your head trauma, right? Boxing, mm -hmm. head trauma. But there's, but there's this weird thing that happens when you're punching somebody versus grappling somebody, right? Mm -hmm. The moment the escalation starts to happen, it doesn't stop until something actually finishes the escalation in grappling goes all the way to 100 early pretty quickly mm -hmm. but it doesn't go beyond that and it stops when it's done because afterwards um what i i i like saying is you essentially were aggressively cuddling with somebody for two like for that period of time and yep. it's therapeutic um it's not the way you get that like with striking where someone's kicking you up and you're like Okay, athleticism matters, but like you're you just get more enraged, right? Yeah, yeah. It's different kind of uh attribute. So sorry for being a little long-winded. No, because I have two main questions based off of this. And this is great information for anybody listening, because if somebody, you know, veteran looks into this and says, Why would I want to do that? What what do I get out of it? That was right. a really I figured you could, mainly because if you start, you know, you started the the knife hand company. Right. My first question is, how did you distill? everything that you talked about into a mission for the nonprofit. So it started with this idea of embracing the suck. Okay. Um, that was actually, that was probably going to be the original name uh, for the company until people said, you know, uh, suck is a hard word uh, to deal with, especially if you're trying to deal with the general public. So like um, maybe use it as a motto. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, like my jujitsu coach, I give him the, the credits for the name because he's also a former drill sergeant. So uh, he knows the knife hand. We always joke about the knife hand and he's the one that brought it up. And I was like, that's perfect. We need to use that. So um, the idea, so really where it started the early days was like, how do we embrace this up together? Like I'm on the mat, like this is where, like I know I'm getting some help here. I can't really explain what I'm getting in, but I'm meeting people that I've never met before, all walks of life from business owners to like, uh, uh like uh, like to engineers to uh the college student to like 
the person that's unemployed or the teenager, right? I'm yeah. getting exposed to so many people, all different races, all different genders, or like like or like male, male, female. You're getting you're you're getting that diversity aspect of it. You're all getting a great workout out of out of it, and you're all getting therapy out of it in a weird way, right? Mm-hmm. I come out of there. I there's days where I don't want to train. I come out of there every time like. I'm so glad I was here, you know, like yeah, yeah. I'm so happy. Um, and a part of that is like, yeah, like you're there, you're fighting, but it's, there has to be something. I don't know why, but like, there has to be something to hugging somebody for like two hours. Like there has to be something right. tied to that. Right. It's like some sort of chemical thing. And it's just funny. Cause it's like, you're trying to, you're trying to kill that person. Um, but at the same time, you're like you're experiencing something so unique uh, to, and it's such a unique sport, such a unique martial art, um, and you have to do it with somebody else. You can't do it alone. Right. And I think that connection of someone, like you can't be alone doing this. You can't go on your journey alone. Somebody has to bring you along. And going back to the very beginning, that accountability, missing a day, and having everybody, like who you never like the first you met once start calling you out and saying, Hey, we need you here. It's like, no, I, I feel like I, this is where it needs to be. I need to be here. I need to, I like, I'm, I'm now responsible to them. Right. Totally. And it's like, that's where it started. And I was like, you know what people need this and there are plenty of programs for veterans, but how about we get those veterans to the rest of the community? And how about we actually give them a way to like have some therapy with it and just great workout Plus, like it's fun, you know, like it can mm-hmm. be fun and it's a great outlet. Like uh, that's what Adam talked about our previous guest. He was like, I found this, and it's just like the way that you grapple, the way that you're like just yeah. you have to work with that. You know, I, I loved your analogy to chess mainly because I'm an avid chess player. Um, because everything you were talking about was like, <laughs> like that's chess, that's you're in a bad position. How do you work it? How do you get into right. a better position? How do you deal with like an attack so that you can, you know, adjust? Like it's such a mind game that way. Um so specifically, uh, the, the, the knife hand company's mission is to. Is to, is to build uh, communities or healthy communities for veterans through grappling martial arts. Okay. Um, it's introducing them to the greater community as a whole um, and using grappling, uh, whether it's jujitsu, judo, wrestling, samba, wherever you find a grappling school um, to like, as the essentially as the as the method of getting you a community that's going to support you mm-hmm. um and the way we do this is we have three programs uh we're still in the early stages or early stages of our nonprofit. so if you're for any of your guests that's listening to this now uh hopefully by the time like you know if you're hearing it and it's like a couple months from now uh, it's hopefully we're up and running by that, but right now we're kind of in this fundraising stage, but the, or what we have is three programs and we're looking to do it as cohorts. So we have a fellowship scholarship and mentorship program. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fellowship is our, is the overarching umbrella to our program. What we do is we're going to take you in, into our program. We're going to cover your gear. We're going to negotiate your rate with the gym that we're going to partner you up with. And we have an affiliate network of partners that of, of gyms. Cause I don't have my, look, we don't have our own um, school ourselves. We partner with all the gyms in the area and that's strategic that there's a reason for that. And what we do is 
having some experience in the social work side, we're going to give you like a development plan. We're going to find out what your goals are, your current mm -hmm. health assessment, your current personality, your uh, like, you know, your um, your own like personality assessment for, or like and your your traits. Right. Like, And based on that, we know what your profile is. Yeah. We're going to find out what what's affordable to you, what you don't like, what you need. And then we are we're going to marry you or partner you like a dating service with a school that's kind of in that same realm yeah um, i don't want to put somebody who's uh who has been out of shape uh for a long period of time uh as a veteran um as kind of fallen off the wagon wheel here a little bit or and you know into a school that primary focus is competition, right? There are competition schools. There are like hobbyist schools. There's family oriented schools. There's the dude schools. There's schools that really do well for women. There's schools that really do well for kids, teenagers, and things like that. Yeah. So what, what are we trying to do here for you? We identify your goals. We find the school that kind of matches that. And we have the schools give us their, their personality, what there's like, we, like part of my world tour right now, I call it is like, I'm going to all these schools kind of like experiencing some of the classes, uh, asking the like the the coaches and the gym like owners, like what is really the personality here? Yeah. Uh, and building those profiles, so that when we partner you with that, you're going to not only get the accountability from the school, we have these cohort designed for a reason um, that monthly, not only am I going to follow up with you, or we're going to have like a rep follow up with you, but we have these monthly meetings with your cohort members who might be at different gyms. Mm -hmm. They're all sharing their experiences, letting that develop, whether it's a Zoom call or being in person. Quarterly, we want to have like outings where we all kind of get together, whether it's like uh, a non-grappling related outing, outing, like it's like, hey, let, let's all hang out like pontoon or something, go camping for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, just spend some time together. And um, and on top of that, hopefully in if we get good get enough funding for it hopefully have like a big like uh invitational event where we have these grappling schools uh you're representing your grappling school so and then so there's this inter rivalry that's happening but you're also representing us which has this uh overarching um aspect to it which is the exact same thing we feel in the military yeah. Every army or Navy Marines, we all have this inner rivalry that we all make fun of each other on, but we all represent the flag. Right. We all, we all kind of have that. So, and even inside the army, it breaks down like you're with what company you were like, what kind of like, what, what was your job again? Oh, so you were like a ground pounder or something like that. Like, yeah. so, so that's the fellowship and that's the core program. Mm -hmm. The secondary piece to that is the scholarship. So if you can't, if you're brand new, like, or you don't have the finances to get this going. We'll pay for up to a year, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to get you up to a year. We're going to find the funding for you. We're going to get you to get you into the program. You still get to be a part of the cohort. You still get all the gear. You still get the match. Uh, but this is a little bit more intentional now because right. we're paying for you. We're going to be checking up on you more regularly. We're going to check in with the school, maybe have like status reports uh, where we're saying, Hey, like, how's their attendance? Have they, have you heard from them? And we're going to be on you on that. Um, and like kind of ask for that commitment to be a little bit more stern and that cohort's going to take care of you seriously too. Like they're going to be on top of you. And then that sounds like a lot of the programs are everybody, like some of the other 
programs outside like we define have something maybe similar um where we differentiate ourselves is this what about all those veterans that are in grappling that do jujitsu have a school don't need really any of the support or belted or you know like have already made commitments to a school but want to be a part of the program but can't because they don't fill any of the other requirements yeah we have a mentor slot in the same cohort, we invite them over and you get to mentor them because you might be a higher belt, you've been through the same journey, or you just finished, hopefully, uh, you pay it forward. Like you finished your cohort before and now you want to be a mentor and really help people get through. That's what we want to do. And we want these classes to be like mini squads or mini like platoons where like you get all these layers mm -hmm. uh, and all kind of feeding into each other and building out that. As a mentor, you still get our gear. We don't need to worry about your rates or school relationship, but like yeah. we want you into these programs because you have something to give still. And like we want, that's what we're encouraging. All of us have something to give at some point. So epic. This is, this is awesome. Um, how can how can people contribute to uh, the Knife Hand Company? Uh, where do they find you? Do you have a website, social media? Yeah, so uh, we do have social media. We also have a website. Uh, it's still in the early stages of the website, but we have a donation page. Uh, it's the knife hand, uh, the knife uh, Just check us out. Um, it, and for anybody out there that has advice on making a good website, like please let me know. But we we worked on it. It's pretty decent there. Uh, but yeah, um, we you can find us there. We have a donate link. Uh, it goes right to our our uh, our, our business website, uh, like our, our business PayPal essentially. Yeah. Um, and all that all those proceeds go right back into our services. So everything right now, like like I said, we're in our fundraising stage. So we want to be able to pay for these programs, uh, negotiate these rates, and really help our veterans in these uh into these program like into these cohorts and build on build upon them uh so yeah look us up uh the knifehandcompany.org i mean the knifehand.org uh you can also find us on uh social media like instagram uh the knife hand and i i'll i'll send you over our tags for all that so um yeah that's where you can find us nice and i do have a sort of a more technical question sure. because what I, from understanding what you're saying about, okay, so other mixed martial arts, or MMAs or other martial arts, striking, yes. punching, kicking, you have that escalation and it doesn't come back down until something right. stops it. Now right. with judo, jujitsu, uh, if the escalation is up to hundred percent and you, and something finishes it, you know, like a, a good throw, like you said, the throw is kind of like the right. walk off home right. run, but say you're in a back alley and somebody comes at you, how do you incorporate that mentality that judo jujitsu mentality into like i'm gonna defend my life uh because i can't just like throw them on the mat and be like cool i did it <laughs> so no yeah so there i'm glad you brought that up so um this goes back and like mini history lesson obviously so jigoro kano the founder of judo right uh when he created judo um prior to that there were uh, like hundreds i don't know like i'm gonna say hundreds to embellish here a little bit but of these jujitsu schools. Now, uh, old school Japanese jujitsu or jujitsu um, is just like grappling martial arts. But what he did was he took all the techniques that were safe, right? And said like, well, the reason why those guys aren't training is they're constantly getting injured. So let's get take those away because like some of them techniques might be good, but like the vast majority of the, the techniques that were dangerous were not helpful or were, weren't any better. So for any of the people that think he's like, oh, he took away all the good techniques. It's actually not. It was like techniques that 
had minimal success or just average success of working, but had too high of a variability of like injury and could be more like detrimental than it was good for. So he codified all that and he he put a set of rules around it and said, like, if you practice this, you can go 100% and you can train hard and you can develop your skills that way. So that's a part of it is um, repetition, like in repetition matters. And it's like, you're training your mind to do what it needs to do automatically, right? Mm -hmm. Whenever there's stimulus involved, you have to be able to like, before you're able to think your body has to react, right? Uh, We see this in sports, we see this in the military, when we drill things, Um, they like in jujitsu, they call this like, like, you know, like drillers make killers. That's a hashtag that's going around, right? You drill, you drill, you drill. And then whenever you you experience like live, like those live experiences, like live sport, whatever, um, that's where it's really tested. So a part of that is you have these techniques where you test over and over and over again. This is what makes it a little different from some of your traditional martial arts is that, yeah, we have all these forms and all these techniques, but you have to test it in sparring. So that's the second half of what like Jigoro Kano really created was like, hey, you got to test this to see if it works for you. So here's the techniques, apply it, do it, right? And that hard training, that hard development where it's constantly being pounded into your brain mm-hmm. you learn that whenever there's something that happens um your 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 body will actually react but here's where it kind of starts so the juin jujitsu or judo it stands like for i think the english translation is like gentle right we always hear like the gentle way or the gentle art jujitsu is art do means way so but it's actually better translated to yielding um and it's more of a mindset thing. So like Jigoro Kano was very big on the mindset of like, it, it. this is beyond martial arts. The reason why he changed it to way was this bleeds into every aspect of your life. And this is how I'm going to explain self-defense for you. Because self-defense doesn't start with the worst case scenario. It starts with getting yourself in the worst case scenario. So, or getting yourself out of it. And it's this mindset is like, so the way judo and jujitsu works is like there's this efficiency component to it what do i need to do to get to where i want to go to in the least amount of steps and the least least amount of effort maximum efficiency uh so if i'm going to do that i must yield to the pressure that i feel so sometimes uh the hardest thing for a lot of people to learn especially wrestlers going into like a jujitsu is uh and especially coming from elementary high school, like middle school, high school, they're always taught like effort, 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 effort. Sometimes you're going to meet somebody who has the same amount of effort and athleticism than you, but has more technique. So Mm -hmm. what do you do when they have more technique and more effort? Um, Like what we see in jujitsu and judo, you actually go the opposite way. You go soft, you yield to that pressure. So like if someone's driving into you, maybe it's as simple as just turning around like turning and just letting their momentum go that way and controlling the angle right same with jujitsu on the ground it's like they're really trying to pass you a certain angle well maybe they're exposing something else and Mm -hmm. being able to control those so um that mentality does bleed everywhere it's saying okay like you know i got smashed up today like i might be at the bar with a bunch of my buddies after jujitsu i just had some like 205 pound dude just sit on my face for like five a five minute hard roll session and it wasn't pleasant like you you got 
everything that was in that environment and atmosphere because that atmosphere pressure underneath there was very different <laughs> um and you're you're like you know what like maybe you're at a bar and somebody's starting like to like act up a little bit and you look over and you're like i don't need to deal with this today mm. like I, I might just walk away um it's like i'm i'm okay i'm okay guys like it's, it's like sorry for offending you i'm okay uh but it could be like um just your de-escalation happens like i don't need to prove myself to you why because like in grappling what happens more than any other martial art you're constantly humbled i don't care if you're a white belt black belt well white belts especially will always get humbled but uh like you could be a high level black belt every so often you're gonna get caught mm -hmm. by a lower belt and that's humbling you're constantly getting humbled you can have good days you can have bad days i've been in days where like I know I'm better like than some people in my school and I feel that confidence going in and I, I might have a good role that day, but it could go from role to role. It could be like, I'm, I'm sparring with one person, feel pretty good about myself and then get smashed up the very next guy. And, and it's like, I should be better than like, what, what happened? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like that golf mentality, right? It's like, it's like golf is hard. So like you embrace it, right? It's like, mm -hmm. I wish I could be better, but like I suck. So, um, <laughs> Uh, it, it like and it, it's funny because like all the things that i like have this component to it like golf grappling and the even the video games that i choose to play yeah are, are like or even board games that i choose to play like chess it's like it's hard and you and mistakes matter right yep. and um so like that's what you're getting out of it it's just like okay i first of all i've been in worse situations i can deal with this mm -hmm. second um I've trained my body at least enough. And as long as I've kept doing it, worst case scenario, having something is better than nothing. So like um, there, depending on some of the schools you go to, there might be a striking component where like we'll practice it, but it's not, might not be drilled all that much. Mm -hmm. But like, as long as my body knows exactly what to do, like I still have some advantage over somebody who has no training. Yeah, uh, It's, it's rare to find like, it's rare to find or pick a fight with somebody that that you're going to meet that has equal amount or training on the street than like because the the vast majority of people out there don't have any sort of fight training and the people that pick fights are the ones that typically have the least amount of training right because mm -hmm. uh, most people if you notice in like that have a martial arts background or like mma wrestling like mma or grappling in general typically like they're good or like like muay thai guys too like those guys are the some of the craziest people out there they don't pick fights they're usually pretty happy um but you know like you had that mentality now the like the strikers out there like the mma guys muay thai guys the kickboxers out there they might be willing to go into that space more readily right because they understand escalation that much but grapplers we tend to be on the path pa more on the passive side right we're like it's all good Wait, i don't need to deal with it yeah. Um, and, but where I feel like it comes into play the most is what happens where you didn't see it coming, coming it's worst case scenario. And you're now on the ground, right? The fight's not over. Mm -hmm. Like the fight is not over. I can control you from here. Like the only thing, the only thing that changes is does this person have a weapon? Like you like those things matter, but how do I defend myself while on the ground? How do I control you? while on the ground how many videos have we seen of guys in scraps where like we see jujitsu guy takes guy takes random person down and controls him like in a mcdonald's or 
uh, recently, like a month and a half ago, kind of went viral. Uh, they say it's Henzo Gracie, but it was in a New York subway. Some guy was acting up. He took him down. You guys can look it up. Um, and he can just, he just controlled him the entire time. He, he was like, and he just kept saying, Hey, look, guy, take it easy. Kate, take it easy. And he was just pinning him and he was just controlling him. Yeah. And that's one of the advantages of grappling. Cause we're not trying to like inflict serious pain on you. Like we're not trying to knock you out with a punch where medical issues might come into play. Yeah. We can choke you out or break your arm, but like, listen, if we can pin you until authorities come or until help comes, I'm cool with that. We're cool with that because you're you're still alive, right? Yeah. Um, and on top of that, I don't have to deal with any of the legal stuff. I was just controlling you the entire time, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's one of those things. It's like, can you yield to any situation? Like, is there like, are you going to let your pride get in the way of, can you deescalate or are you going to let your pride get in the way? Yeah. Right. That's usually the number one thing that happens. But in the worst case scenario, what do you do? You know, how do you deal with that? Hopefully you've been in training long enough where it just happens and you're, you're in the right, you're doing the right thing, the right time. You're adjusting for that stuff. And, um, no martial art is perfect. Everybody can get caught. Um, it, things are dangerous out there. So obviously not getting into a situation is always the best situation, but, um, it's better to have something and then nothing. And, Jiu-jitsu, I feel like jujitsu, even judo, because like cops use it, especially in Asia and Europe. Uh, that's like a core training method. Mm -hmm. um, it's been it's been there for years. It's it's proven, it's battle tested. Like worst case scenario, it's a good base to start from. And like at least have something in place. Some training is better than none. And right. like, but more importantly, it's that mentality of like, I don't need to escalate this any further. Totally. I, can, I can back down. Nice. Um, Tim, I, I, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but this has been very educational. And, and it sounds like your nonprofit is, is doing really awesome things. I'm glad you're filling a space and a need um, for so many more veterans uh, than the stuff you were finding. It's such a great, uh, a, you know, a, a great organization. And I hope people look you up and, and take, a, a, take a, a look at your website and join in. Um, I think it's a, a wonderful opportunity for veterans to like find something that maybe they hadn't thought of before that could really, you know, sort of reintegrate them, help them find a community, um, you know, give them that sort of like uh, group of people that they can experience something new with. Yeah, no, I, honestly, Sean, it was like a pleasure. Obviously, I could talk for hours. I'm a talkative guy, uh, especially when it comes to like jujitsu and stuff like that. So uh, we can always have those conversations later. But, you know, um, yeah. And for anybody like looking to check us out again, it's the knifehand.org. Uh, we will eventually start taking the merch that we're going to use for uh, or at least the gear that we're going to give to our veterans. Uh, we'll eventually have a store on there so that you'll be able to purchase again. All those proceeds, all of it, 100% of that um, goes to our veterans. We are a 501c3, so for tax purposes, understand that too. You're going to get that tax benefit if that's something you're looking at. But uh, really, all those proceeds go back to these programs. Uh, hopefully, we'll be launching our programs uh, in the early part of 23 if we raise enough funding for it. Um, uh, so any of that support, and again, just thank you for having me on and just sharing a little bit. And um, 
Love to continue to talk someday. <laughs> Definitely. We'd we'll love to have you back on for another episode. To our audience, please like, share, subscribe, ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. And uh, if you need to look me up, you can do that at Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at veteransbreakfastclub.org. If you're interested in uh, the, uh, the Knife Hand Company, reach out to me. I'm happy to pass you on to Tim. Um, and uh, thank you so much. And we'll uh, see you on a future episode. See you. <laughs>